Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us yet again. And we're here getting ready to dive into a really interesting topic. I am a, I'm just fascinated by psychology. We're going to be talking about relationships and conversations today. And uh, I have the privilege to have Meredith Rinkars on the podcast yet again today. Meredith, we had you back on episode number 62. I really appreciate you coming back. One of the few guests that we've had on multiple times. Yes, thank you so much for having us me back as well as my husband this time. Right. And and I was going to get to that. Jason uh, is with us. Jason, thank you so much for joining us as well for, for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Anytime. Thank you for having me. And uh, Jason is on for a, a very good reason. Other than the fact that he is Meredith's husband, um, he's got some interesting background and training in the topic that we're going to be getting into today, which very simply is how to have difficult conversations. Uh, in this kind of day and age, 2018, especially a culture that is largely driven by social media, conversations look a little bit different than maybe they used to, and everybody's approach to them seems to be a little bit different. So we're going we're gonna to dive into that. It's a very loaded topic, but we're going to get into that here in just a bit. To start off, though, something that we've been doing as of late on the Boca podcast is something that we call the technique for time or tool for time. And so, Meredith, I'm going to direct this question to you, but as a business owner, uh, finding free time can be kind of difficult. What's one tip or technique that you regularly utilize in your life to create time for yourself, for Jason? What is your technique for time? Uh, I would say definitely workflow, having it somewhat automated as much as possible and having basically time hack, a hard time to have something scheduled. So what do you, when you talk about scheduling things, what are you using a particular tool outside of just your calendar for the sake of scheduling and, and creating space for yourself? Um, so we use 17 hats uh, almost exclusively as well as Calendly. Um, those both really are um, massive time savers, avoiding the kind of the back and forth emails of, hey, do you want to meet? Okay, well, what time? Okay, where? And it, it makes it a lot easier and a lot quicker. Yeah, I've mentioned Calendly before. That has been definitely has been one of my biggest time savers over the last year and a half or two years. Like you're saying, minimizing that back and forth email is instant messenger behavior that a lot of business owners have. It sucks up so much time. It distracts you from focusing on the task at hand, those things that actually will grow your company. And that's definitely not email is instant messenger and scheduling conference calls or phone calls or meetings or otherwise. So Calendly, we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes, but Calendly is a really incredible highly inexpensive uh, resource that will enable you as a business owner to manage your time more effectively. Uh, C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y, Calendly.com. Check it out for sure. And then 17 Hats is interesting because I know that they're not photography industry specific, but they have developed some popularity in the industry. How do you find yourself saving time using that tool? So we have a workflow set up and I'll I'll be honest, Jason was the one that kind of implemented it. He's got a background in that. So from the time of inquiry through to the time of delivery of images, 
we have everything scheduled out at a certain time, including questionnaires. And a lot of that will go out automatically. And some of it we will then do ourselves if we need to kind of customize a specific email template to a bride or portrait session. Um, even down to scheduling ahead of time, our uh, photographer's edit order <laughs> is even in there. Wow, that's really awesome. Okay, so when you're talking, you're actually outlining your workflow in their system, is that right? Yes. Okay. And Jason, was that hard to set up? Because I know a lot of photographers have found difficulty when it comes to setting up a CRM, actually putting the whole workflow in place and all the emails. And did that take a long time with 17 hats? As far as developing the workflow itself, that does take a while. I'm not going to lie about that. I have a lot of background. I'm certified in lean and I'm a certified lean six Sigma cons- um, green belt as well. Okay. And, and give a little bit of context, if you don't mind, what, what does that mean for those sure. listening who aren't familiar with it? So lean is a very big concept. Um, it all really stemmed from Toyota a lot, quite a while ago with lean six Sigma, but lean is the more streamlined version of it. Um, there's a lot of principles that we use and it really has to relate to business efficiency. And a big part of business efficiency is workflow. And one of the things I notice with a lot of photography clients that we do have that we consult with is their workflow is very fragmented or it's, they don't have a consistent process. And in business, consistency is, is king. You have to be consistent. It keeps your clients happy. It keeps everybody happy. And one of the principles that we employ a lot of is constant process improvement. So after every client, we're looking over the workflow to get back to the other question. It does take a while to set it up. I actually tell people you should block out two, three weeks of your time and just work on your workflow to develop the email templates. But once you have the groundwork laid, you have the email set up and everything is done, actually putting it into 17 ads is is really pretty simple. Okay. And, and, you know, I think this kind of follows that principle, something that we've talked about on the podcast before, which is. Uh, the realization, the acknowledgement, and, and ultimately being okay with the fact that it may take a little bit of time investment up front to set up the systems that will ultimately drive the efficiency that you're talking about. We have to be okay with that as business owners. It's just a reality at times. And so it, it's important to note that. And it, we'll make sure, of course, to link to 17 Hats uh, in the show notes so that you all can check out their, their website and the details for that service as well. But thanks for sharing that. And we really can't say enough. Again, for those listening in, I mean, this podcast is largely about how to create more efficiency for ourselves as photography business owners. You know, we're, we're missing out on what it can mean to be an entrepreneur, which is that freedom, that flexibility to live the life that we want to, if we're not taking advantage of the principles uh, that drive that type of efficiency. And so I appreciate you all starting us off with uh, some really great tips. Now, I, Meredith, I had the opportunity to interview you back in episode number 62. And uh, so for those of you listening in who have not heard episode 62, I know that we have some binge listeners out there and you've probably heard all the episodes, but for those of you who missed out, go back to episode number 62, listen in, get to know Meredith and her business uh, a little bit more. But uh, for the sake of all those listening in today, I'd love for you to share just kind of something random about yourself that maybe most people don't know. Oh gosh. <laughs> something that's not so random that it's embarrassing. <laughs> um, let's see. One of my graduation requirements for high school was a outdoor living skills assessment because I spent part of high school in Alaska. And so we had to build an igloo 
And that was a really interesting thing being from Georgia and moving up there for a couple of years. Oh my uh, word. Yeah. To and have to learn how to do that. And when you say igloo, I mean, I'm really like, are we talking legit igloo with ice yes. blocks? Okay. Like, like we would picture for those of us who all only probably know about an igloo from like looking at a book or, or reading something as a child. Okay. So how long does that process take? Um, it took about a week to build. We had to build it as a team for class. It is a outdoor living skills class. Okay. Part of that was also learning how to cross country ski. Um, and it was a lot of fun, but very random for someone who had lived most of her life in Georgia. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just just over the Georgia state line. Heavy, heavy humidity. Yeah. yeah so Alaska would be a drastic contrast to what you're used to. Did, did you find, though, that I mean, of course, again, this is only hearsay or, or what I've read, uh, but that that igloos actually, despite the fact that they're built from ice, you naturally think it would be cold, but does it actually create an, kind of an insulatory effect when it comes to temperature? It does. Yes, it, it was very strange. Um, we could take our, our heavy jackets off and in the middle of January in winter, and it was very comfortable. And then it snowed a ton, I think, the week after. And so my, my little brothers and I spent the whole weekend shoveling the driveway so we could make more igloos in our front yard. How funny. Well, I, I have to say that this wins maybe one of the most random facts about a, a podcast guest thus far. So congratulations to you. But but how fun to have those experiences too. And and I mean, so much about at least that I enjoy about life is, is having experiences, kind of wide ranging experiences. And that certainly wins as one. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, maybe just kind of update us since since the last episode, what's going on with your businesses. And, and for those of you who need context, Meredith has a photography business as well as a uh, Meredith would you would you kind of categorize it as a, a consulting business that that's helped photographers with the process of going into a new market or getting started in a new market uh yeah I would probably categorize it somewhere between business coaching consulting concierge some kind of in that realm and and what is that I know that that is a, a re- relatively new project I think within the last year correct um, we had been doing it for a while just on the, the photography website and really felt like it needed to be its own, have its own home. Right. And so we split the two, I believe of, over a year ago, then just launched our first course back at the very beginning of April. And and that background, I mean, um, it will again kind of further lend context to the conversation. Jason, you were in, uh, were in the military or still in the military? I'm still in the military. Okay, so you all have had the the uh, wonderful opportunity. We'll we'll put a positive spin on it to move around quite a bit. And so, Meredith, you firsthand had to learn how to move into a new market with your business uh, to mm-hmm. make something, kind of create something from nothing in a new space. And and that's that's giving you an experience that you're now able to share or lend to the photography industry. Correct? Yeah. Not only the photography industry, though, we've we've really had the honor of working with floral designers and and even folks who aren't physically moving a business, but are looking around at their market that is starting to shift and change as people become more mobile. And they're seeing an influx of maybe new businesses in their area, and it's affecting their business that's been there for 10, 12 years. Mm. And they're struggling to try and figure out, well, what do I do now? Because my, my business is limping along. 
Yeah, and, and there is a tendency to get, uh, I mean, I can speak from personal experience too, there's a tendency to get comfortable in the space that you're in, the way that you function. The idea of change can be a bit overwhelming, but we really have to constantly be on our toes as as entrepreneurs looking for not only being aware of the way the industry is shifting, but the thing that I always go to when I think about, you know, for example, if, if the industry in my local market changes, how can I play opposite of whatever may be happening so that I stand out or how can I take advantage of opportunities as the industry shifts where there is a, a niche, kind of a, a hole in the market that somebody needs to fill. Is that something yeah. that, that you focus on in conversation with entrepreneurs? Somewhat. I mean, we, we really, our biggest focus is getting them to recognize their strengths, like, you know, not just recognizing a hole in the market, but recognizing their strengths. A lot of times we, we are, we bash ourselves. We, we are down on ourselves as creatives and we don't realize the worth and the value that we have. And then the ability to be able to utilize that and, and plug into the market you're already in or the market you want to be in um, and, and really work from a mind, an outward mindset to, to grow in that market that you want to be in. Yeah. That, that idea of self-confidence is, is, uh, well, I mean, we talk about it a lot in our culture, it seems, uh, but it's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. Again, I can speak from personal experience that when I get stuck in my head and over-process and over-analyze what I'm about to try to do versus just getting out and doing it, it's easy to get stuck. And, and of course, the, the funny thing is ultimately when I take or make the effort to actually do something, to begin to move um, what I realized is that it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be, A, and B, there is the response tends to be really good because now I'm putting myself out there and being myself. I'm doing the thing that I'm excited and passionate about. And of course, again, also taking advantage of an opportunity in the market. And I see uh, the rewards that come from that. So that's a really big conversation. We could probably actually do a whole podcast episode in and of itself about that very thing. But maybe maybe tied to this conversation about what you're doing with either your photography business or your consulting business, what are, what are some of the difficulties or maybe maybe what's the, the standout tough lesson that you've learned or experienced over the last year or two, especially starting um, a new focus uh, with this consulting business? I think the biggest thing is to really celebrate your differences. I think that people see established business owners, whether it's photography or or, um, another creative genre, floral design, whatever it may be. And I think they see, you know, that recipe for success that's been created. And instead of learning from that, that recipe and then making it your own, I think people forget to to dare to be different, that that difference will actually grow your business to be a stronger, more successful business if you're able to really celebrate who you are versus trying to kind of fit into this mold that maybe wasn't made for you as a business owner. Hmm. Yeah. And, and again, that takes confidence. And it's also interesting and almost ironic these days because there's this interesting dichotomy in our culture, the conversations that are happening uh, around the idea of celebrating differences, but then there's also kind of this push for everyone kind of feeling the same. It's probably more about feeling equal, uh, especially in the way that we're treated and that we're treating others, which is an, an obvious, and obviously a very, very important topic. But we want to simultaneously celebrate the differences, and those very differences are what enable us to 
create a, a brand uh, or a brand position, something that we talk about quite a bit here on the podcast that sets us apart from those in our, our market. Because the market is an extremely noisy one, especially when it comes to photography. Yes. And unless we celebrate those differences, it's going to be tough to stand out, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of touched on that. There, There's so much noise. There's so much it just feels like if you get on social media or Instagram, there's it's like this screaming cacophony. And we encourage some of our, our students and our, our people that have mentored with us to just shut the noise off for a while, mm. especially if you're trying to figure out kind of where you are, what you want to do it is just to, to literally turn the noise off. Yeah. And, and what does that look like when you're talking about telling them to turn the noise off and, and, and how do you quote, turn the noise off and yet simultaneously maintain awareness of the market. So again, as we were talking about, we can kind of play against it. That's a balance. I think you need to be aware of the market, but not so plugged into it that you can't see your own self. Jason and I had this conversation probably about a week ago where we were talking about just how we start our morning and how we can be more efficient and be and get things done. And and I had kind of fallen into this routine of getting up before everybody else. I like that the house is kind of quiet and get my coffee and then check my email, my Facebook, my Instagram, respond to messages. But then you get sucked down that rabbit hole if you're not careful into that noise versus if you start your morning off maybe straightening up your office area, um, cleaning up your desktop, which mine tends to look like a hot mess. <laughs> that switch actually will allow me to be more productive and to turn the noise down a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. So starting off, the, the, the book comes to mind. Uh, I can't think of the author offhand, but Don't Read Your Email in the Morning, I, I think was was the title or something like that. And there is a tendency that we all have to kind of Again, it's that reactive mode, right? We're, we're reading the messages on Facebook, on Instagram, our email. We leave those notifications on. So when we look, pick up our phone in the morning, the screen is just littered with all of these notifications. And it's tough not to react to those in the moment. But kind of setting that stuff aside, I mean, you can, it can be as easy as just turning notifications off and having a routine that, that you're alluding to that enables you to start in a, a clearer mental space. I think that's really important. I mean, I've personally find, and I know that a lot of people do, that a, a morning workout just, it, it's that energy that, uh, you know, I almost don't need coffee <laughs> to, to kind of launch my day and feel <laughs> feel like I'm in a great mental space. And what I've been doing, so I'll, I'll go do these high intensity interval training sessions at the gym, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And after I get done with that and maybe a, a bit of weightlifting, I'll actually go sit. I, I go to Planet Fitness and, um, and they've got these massage chairs. So I can go sit in the massage chair after I get done with my workout, decompress a bit, get those those sore muscles kind of, well, at least relaxed a little bit more than, than they are. And, and then simultaneously just do some reading for the sake of awareness and education uh, as opposed to getting caught up and and trying to respond to a bunch of email or messages in the moment, and that, I love being able to start the day that way. There's there's benefit to myself educationally and of course physically, and I, it it just it's a good kickstart to the day. And I think having a routine like that that isn't focused on just reacting to begin with makes a big difference. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree. Not sure I could give up the coffee thing, but... <laughs> oh, well, no, I'm with you. I, I haven't give, given up the coffee yet, although I'm trying to kind of cut back to 
uh, or, or I say try, I'm not sure how hard I'm trying right now, but I want to get back to, to like just one cup a day so that that caffeine's not affecting my sleep uh, by the time I get, get to the time to go to bed. But but yeah, no, I, I do like my coffee. There's something about, actually speaking of routine, there's something about you know dumping those beans in the grinder in the morning and grinding it and heating up the water. That's it's, nice way to kick off the day as well. So I, I totally feel you on that. Let's um, let, let's jump into something totally different here. And I, I don't even remember if we talked about this the last time we had conversation, but I'm curious, what is a favorite piece of gear these days in your camera bag, maybe an accessory even uh, that you could share with our <laughs> listeners? Um, that was really a hard one. And we didn't talk about it last time, I don't think. That was a hard one for me just because, I, I mean, Gear wise, like camera wise, I'm loving my D850. Um, I'm an icon girl. Yes. But if we want to go off on a, a rant, like random weird gear, yeah, um, go for it. it. It's honestly orthodontic wax. <laughs> hey, we we were like, I was thinking camera, but like you're saying, totally random. That this is good. Okay, do explain. Um. So I. I like my coffee in the morning. I've gotten good about this. will get to the orthodontic wax in a second. I promise. I like my coffee in the morning. Um, it's hard not to have a cup before a wedding, but it will sometimes leave my hands a little jittery. To oh do yeah. Shots. Yeah. And those darn rings just don't want to cooperate on a wedding day. So we found that a little tiny box from CVS of orthodontic wax just a little dot of it will make things stick where it's supposed to the flap of an envelope stick down to the, the chair instead of flopping up and we, you know, creating weird shadows and things like that. So that is a a go-to in our bag for (laughs) wedding days. Really? Okay. Now explain this a little bit more though, the things that you're sticking to, you mentioned an envelope, give us a little bit more context or maybe some of the other things that you're actually using it, using it for. Yeah. So uh, for example, Yesterday, we had a a shoot with a a mixologist, and so she kind of had laid a shaker on the counter of a bar where we were shooting, and it kept rolling off. And so that little dot of wax kept it in place for the shot that she wanted. Or on the the wedding day, you see all those beautifully stacked rings where they're kind of stacked and and in weird shapes and it's like how do they even balance that to get it to stay there yeah yeah. and taking a piece of wax underneath the bottom of the ring will connect them and make them stand up totally makes sense okay that's really interesting and i've i've never heard of that particular item being used for anything comparable to what you're describing but it's actually really interesting and, and probably relatively inexpensive solution to what could be a pretty significant problem on the wedding day yeah, yeah, it's probably about a dollar or less. It's pretty cheap. Uh, I think the only thing you have to be careful about is that it will stick to fancy fabric. So definitely don't stick it on the <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Well, no, that's that's a really great t- tip. Then, and, and uh, maybe we can find an, an Amazon link we can we can put in the show notes for those listening and can <laughs> can grab some of that for their their wedding days. Jason, I, I heard you're commenting on on the rings in the background. Do you have the opportunity to photograph with Meredith on on some of these shoots? I do. Before we started using this wax, we used to call it ring Jenga because <laughs> yeah. you would try to stack the rings in a certain way and see if they fall big, or you try to stack them for maybe three seconds, get the shot and then pray they hold. But this time by doing the wax, they hold for a lot longer and you can get the shot you want, manipulate the rings how you want them instead of the rings manipulating your picture. Oh, totally. And then, and then it's really easy to wipe off after the fact. 
For the most part, I would say you, you might want to take some type of wipey or cloth. Um, if it's hot in the middle of July and you're outside, then yeah, you definitely want to bring something to wipe it off. Okay, very cool. Well, let's let's switch gears again. We're going to move kind of the direction of our, our primary topic today regarding conversations. And and Jason, I'd love for you to give a little bit of context to, again, your your reason for, for joining the conversation at hand. And by the way, you mentioned your military service earlier, and we truly appreciate that. You're also a photographer, so you've, you've got uh, some perspective to lend to the conversation at hand as well in that regard. But then talk to us a little bit about your the, the training that you've had with regards to conversations. And then I'll explain a little bit about our topic for the day. So my background in this, I've had about, I'd say, three to four years, give or take now, working with government employees and other people. But I had the opportunity in my last job to attend um, various trainings and become a trainer for um, one of the courses is called Crucial Conversations, where we take where you actually take high intense conversations and you put a method behind it to actually have them. Because you kind of alluded to it earlier with today's society, as far as we're having a, we are having a very difficult time as a society and in the photography profession in general of actually having these really, really hard conversations. They either aren't having, they aren't happening or they're not going well. Right. So it's, this course allowed me to not only teach the curriculum, but it also allowed me to help other government employees and military members that I was at my last base and to help walk them through this. But it also I was used sometimes to help mediate in union disagreements. So there was, there's a lot of use with it. The other topic I've had the fortune enough to be a part of was I'm Arbinger. I know Meredith has mentioned that before, but um, as far as mindset training, I've been trained to teach how to develop it, how to actually have conflict, almost like conflict resolution with it as well and coaching with it. So I've been trained in multiple facets with that. I found that both the mindset and the crucial conversations go very well together and to, ha- and to handle difficult things that people need to talk about. Well, that's wonderful. And, and we're certainly going to take advantage of your, your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, and, and this training you mentioned earlier before we started recording that you've had the opportunity to, to teach hundreds of people uh, around these principles. And so we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. And in fact, Meredith, in, in our conversation leading up to doing this podcast episode today, uh, this was one of the topics that that you brought up or suggested that we might dive into this idea of having difficult conversations. And and just for the sake of context for this conversation, lend a little bit of light of where we're going with this. You know, some of the th- things that we see on social media these days, particularly in the photo industry, is as small and as tight-knit as it is. Photographers are very, very connected. I mean, it's, it really started back in the days of, of forums, where a lot of conversations turned into heated debate. And then, of course, we've moved to Facebook and Facebook groups. And, and But photographers, for some reason, have this tendency of airing their dirty laundry in public through these mediums, uh, social media primarily. And I'm curious um, why you think that might be the case. And, and certainly you, Meredith, and, and Jason, maybe you can lend uh, your thoughts to this this question as well. But where does this tendency come from to, instead of actually just going directly to the person and having a conversation, to just kind of throw it out there online, almost passive aggressively at times? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the passive aggressively. But I think it comes from several aspects, um, you know, We've talked before a little bit about mindset. So 
that inward mindset, that safety. We, uh, we feel justified in doing what we know is wrong. It's a lot easier to call someone out and have a, um, a dialogue online with other people versus having that hard conversation that we know is probably the right way to have that conversation in person or on the phone with the, um, the individual that maybe we're upset with or, or irritated about. And when you say easier, I mean, I, there, there are elements of that, that so-called online conversation, which are unidirectional, right? It's just you putting an idea out there. And in my mind, when I think about a good conversation, I, I want to get feedback from somebody. It seems mm-hmm. almost counterproductive, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this a bit more, but it seems almost counterproductive to just put a one-way, it's not even really a conversation, it's just kind of one-way thought out there, and then maybe somebody responds, maybe somebody doesn't. But mm-hmm. it, when you say it's easier, do you think it's because you don't have to look that person in the face and see the emotional response from them when you say those words? Yeah, I think that that's part of it. I think we also have become a, a culture in some ways that don't know how to have that conversation with someone face to face. We're, you know, Jason and I and, and you are probably some of the last generations to grow up with maybe without a cell phone um, until maybe we were in our 20s. Sure. And so um, I think more and more people are used to having those conversations via text, via email, via social media. And um, then there also comes into play that aspect of seeking justification for how you're feeling, even though how you're feeling might be wrong. Mm. When you are, say, putting something out into a forum or or a Facebook page, and it's that one-sided, you're not... Maybe you're not even asking for help, but you're more saying, you you know, I'm so frustrated with this person because they did this. And so that entire social media platform is only getting that person's view of what happened and therefore feeling like they can justify the actions of that person. Yeah, they kind of want to get affirmation for those feelings. Yeah, I was actually just having a conversation for or with uh, a therapist. Uh, about the idea, the possibility of a business model that is driven largely by virtual interaction with clients. And one of the things that she pointed out uh, in that conversation was how much you miss visually in that in-person interaction, not being able to read the response from the person. It's so easy to type a few words and hit send or post and not deal with that immediate consequence of again, the interaction that you would have, the response that the visual response in particular or the verbal response that you get from somebody in person, we can kind of hide behind the computer and just post whatever we want to, not really truly taking responsibility for how that might affect someone. Jason, what what are your thoughts on this? Um, Meredith hit it. She hit it right on the head. The only couple of things I want to add to it, we were talking about why people go directly online to get to post And I want, this is going to be a very different approach probably for them, what most people have heard. But so somebody does something to us that we don't like, whatever it may be, just a situation. And our feeling is that say we're angry or we're hurt, whatever the case may be. Now we know the right thing to do is maybe to talk to them about it, clarify, do something, but we need justification for why we feel this way. So we go online and one of the things about the inward mindset that this could be a whole nother podcast, but with the inward mindset, it likes to be a recruiting tool. 
It likes to recruit people to think the way we do. It's called a collusion. And you see it in workplaces. You see it everywhere. But we use online to collude for people to collude with us. So we put a one-sided argument online without getting the other person's side and people come swarming to support you without knowing the other side. Now you feel justified for the way you feel. Interesting. Yeah. Is that, is that similar to the idea of confirmation bias? Similar. Yes. Okay. So it, it, again, for further context, kind of diving into this a little bit more, I mean, we'll, we'll see this from photographers when they may be commenting uh, about a client or an experience with a client. Uh, they may be commenting on the behavior of another photographer, maybe even a second shooter that they had the opportunity to work with. Uh, maybe they're commenting on an experience with other vendors, companies in the industry. And of course, this isn't specific just to wedding or event photography either. But And, and maybe this is uh, an obvious question, but what would you say then, based on, on the discussion we've had thus far, what are the primary drawbacks to addressing these issues through just a, a simple post in social media or maybe through a blog or something comparable, what are the potential drawbacks to that approach versus having that in-person conversation? I think the biggest drawback you have is there is no dialogue. If you look at the, I guess the meaning of dialogue, it's the free flow of meaning between two or more people. So in order for a crucial, I know we'll touch on this a little bit later, but in order for a crucial conversation to happen, there has to be dialogue. And if you aren't talking, dialogue is not happening. Therefore, the problem or the conversation is not happening and the problem is not getting resolved. So taking it online, there is no conversation. So would you say that there's even any value at all to, to a post like that? You know, there's a photographer that jumps, even if it's just in a, in a Facebook group, a closed Facebook group that they're ju- jumping on and just airing their frustration about a particular vendor. Is there any value in that, that type of situation at all? Or you know, it could be a vendor or a photographer, whatever the case. But um, that, like you said, it's very one-sided. There's no dialogue. If they're posting, for example, to get the opinion, the feedback of other photographers, is there at least some benefit of that or no? So let me let me preface that. Me and my wife have had this conversation. She's looking at me and she's like, please. please, please. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I could go off, but it's okay. So I have had, let me preface this with kind of a, an experience of my own. So I was a department head in my last job. And like I told you uh, offline, I was the chief of education staff development and I had people, sometimes literally I was eating my lunch at my desk, which I did most days, and people would come into my office, slam the door and say, I need to talk to you. And I would say, okay, what what's going on? And they would just start spilling out this story, kind of like what people do online, but they just start doing everything. And I'd sit there and I'd listen and I'd ask them, okay, what was the point of you coming in here? And they would tell me that they just wanted to talk. I said, okay, so do you not want me to talk back? And they, and some people would say, no, they didn't. They just wanted to regurgitate words. Now, if you come at it with that preface where you're only getting one side of the conversation, you're posting it online. Are you really trying to vent or are you trying to get something else? Are you trying to get people on your side? Hmm. To me, if a person comes into my office needing to vent, most of the time I will tell, I will show you the door. Or I will say, let's reframe this conversation. And instead of venting, let's figure it out. 
And again, that innate to that approach is that dialogue that you alluded to earlier, correct? Correct. And it's a lot of people think that venting is a is a good therapeutic way to get things out. And I guess in society, it may have its place to vent, especially if you face with a really hard tragedy. At the same time, though, if all you're doing is venting, there's no dialogue because it's not an exchange of information. In addition, the problem is still there. It's not going away. I like I like that uh, phrase that you just used. It's not an exchange of information. And that would be a really a kind of a good filter almost for those who are considering posting to social media about something like this. Is it an exchange of information or am I just venting? And then ultimately, how is it productive um, would yeah. be another another phrase or question that comes to mind. But Meredith, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this because you, you said that you and Jason had conversation or Jason alluded to the conversation that you guys had. Do you have a, a little bit different perspective on it? Um, no, I mean, we, we have a, a pretty similar viewpoint on it. I really feel like if you are not looking to solve a problem, if you're not looking for help to solve a problem, then are you just simply adding to the noise and the discord that's out there versus are, you know, are you truly saying I'm, I'm confused by this? I need help with this. There's a difference. And you have to look at what is the what is the purpose of your actions? It takes a little bit of self-awareness to be able to actually see that purpose, doesn't it? Because yeah. you get so caught up in the emotions of the moment in those situations. Yeah. Another good way to phrase it, Nathan, is what are you acting like you want? Interesting. Yeah, will you give further? I, and I, I think I know where you're going with this, but, but yeah. give a little bit more context to it. So in the, in the course that I teach, one of the videos that shows, and this is, I'm sure, being a, an owner of a business, and managing it, you can sympathize with this a little bit, but say you, you have your core team and they turn in a product that's late and you, as the business owner, the CEO, whatever the case is, you come storming into that. You have them all together. You come storming and you start screaming at them. (laughs) I would never. (laughs) I know. Now as the business owner, maybe you're in your mind, what do you want to do? Do you want to punish? Do you want to humiliate? Or do you want to find out what really happened? Hmm, yeah. If you want to find out what really happened, why are you screaming at people? And your team is going to is going to infer, take that information. You're screaming at them. And what are they going to do? They're going to go into two different modes, which we'll talk about probably in just a little bit. But when they go in those modes, then you're starting a, almost a confrontation versus a conversation. Yeah. So what are you acting like you want? That's That's the big thing. So if you're posting this really nasty comment, about say a bride or another vendor, what are you acting like you want? Oh man, that's that's good, and it's even convicting. I'm thinking about even just recent experience. I mean, you're, you're alluding to myself being an, an owner and a CEO. That is the case, and this is uh, this is really really good food for thought. Even even in dealing with circumstance, recent circumstances, it is easy to, especially when you see your business being affected by one thing or another, to take it personally, to get involved emotionally. And then to, to, to just kind of go off. And I know that I've, I've grown as an individual over the years in that regard, but it's still something that I can stand to work on. And, and I like that question, uh, what am I acting like I want? Because you, you were alluding to this, but if you come in hot, 
then there is a tendency for the other side to be defensive and then, of course, to minimize the productivity of the conversation. So I want to get to the practical element of this conversation here in just a second. There's some recommendations, I think, that you have, Jason, for those listening in regarding how they can go about having or more effectively having difficult conversations like we're talking about. But before we do that, I'd love for you to comment on what drives the fear that people have about in-person conversations? You know, somebody can say, I'm not a confrontational person or a confrontational individual. I get that. I mean, I've certainly, I can empathize with those feelings, but what's behind that fear? Well, there's a couple things to this. The first one is honestly, conversations are messy. I mean, they're difficult. They're very difficult for people to actually engage in and do, and especially in today's society, where we have a very heavy reliance on technology and phones. We've, I think Meredith talked about this just earlier, where we've lost that ability to actually talk to one another. So that's part of it. But the other one is there's something in the book. It's called a fool's choice. And in conversations, we view there's only two options. One is that we speak up and turn the most powerful person in into their enemy or option number two we can suffer in silence, make a bad decision that might ruin what we're doing. And and just to play a little bit of devil's advocate to that, is there not a, a room for there to be kind of a happy medium? N- not really. Okay. And in the book, what it really prefaces is that we have the tendency and we go through this in detail to go into silence or violence. And violence, I know a lot of people think that's where you're getting physically abusive with somebody, but not necessarily the case Violence is basically any verbal strategy that attempts that attempts to convince, control, or compel others to see your point of view. So it's it can be just dialogue, verbal strategy to compel others to see your point of view. Where silence, more or less, what you're doing is an act or purposefully withholding information from somebody else. So those are the two big things that when we have a crucial conversation, we have the tendency to go to. And this kind of leads into my nerdy point at this point, which is the biological aspect. My first degree, just so everybody knows, I was a biology pre-med major in my first degree. And then I went on to nursing. Later on, I got my BSN in nursing. So biologically, when we're talking to somebody, if you don't feel safe or you feel like there could be a threat in your way, your body engages in something called the fight or flight response. Now, all of us pretty much know what this is. We've heard it since childhood. But what really happens in the body is there are these two little triangle-shaped little organs on your kidneys called adrenals. Yeah, They sit there. And when you're in that fight or flight response, one of the first things that's going to happen is adrenaline is released. Now, adrenaline is a pretty cool thing. And the fact that it actually diverts blood to your muscles to get you ready to either fight or flight. But here's the bad thing. It actually gets blood away from your brain in the higher functions. Hmm. So I want you to think about this for a minute. You're trying to have a crucial conversation with somebody who doesn't feel safe. Yeah. Their higher function is gone. So you're trying to actually engage in a conversation with somebody that isn't physically capable of having a conversation. And we wonder why it's going to go bad. Wow. So with that being said, one of the first things I tell everybody before you engage in a crucial, crucial conversation Get your brain engaged. Otherwise, you're basically acting from a, what we call a lizard brain perspective, yeah. where you're literally, you're functioning like a lizard, where it's it's just pure fight or flight all the time, run, 
away from whatever it is that you're perceiving as something that's uncomfortable or a threat. Yeah, that that kind of immediate reactive uh, response to the thing that's right there in front of them versus approaching it very proactively with with strategy. And you alluded to this, Jason, but you know we've heard much of our lives probably, hey, step away. If, if you're upset about something, step away from it for a moment and come back. And what that enables you to do is not only physiologically to, to slow down, essentially, but then we can actually go into a conversation or to deal with a situation more proactively, ideally with a, some type of a strategy in place. Um, it enables us to to deal with it more productively. Right. That immediate reactive tendency can get us. I mean, I, I again, I speak from personal experience. It can get us in trouble a lot of times. Right. It, um. The but how do you get in that out of that lizard brain mode, as we call it? The biggest thing is have a purpose for having the conversation. Because if I go in there with the purpose of I want to talk or I want to resolve, say I want to have closure, that's fine. But the minute, remember, as I alluded to earlier, what are you acting like you want? The minute you start arguing, the minute you start fighting with somebody, do you want to fight? Do you actually want closure or do you want to feel justified in your feelings that you were slighted or, you know, angry angry or, or whatever it may be? And so, like Jason said earlier, what are you acting like you want? Are you acting like you want to have a resolution to this conflict? Or are you acting like you want to be justified in feeling like you were slighted? That, you know, it's such a simple idea, but I, I, it's making so much sense to me and hopefully for our listeners as well. That simple idea that you ask yourself, what is it that you want from the conversation? Are you trying to fight? I, I, think, I think if I were to ask myself that question and others who've you know, posted, uh, you used the word violently earlier, Jason, and I'm glad that you, that you pointed out the fact that, that we're not just talking about physical violence, we're talking about verbal violence yes. there that's very easy to make happen these days. But what is the purpose of that? Are you trying to fight or are you actually trying to pro- accomplish something, be productive with the conversation, whether it's you know to get to the bottom of what happened and then be able to move on from there, whether it's to address a problem, figure out what's behind that problem, make some changes in, in the way that your companies function or that you're interacting with somebody or whatever it might be so that you can productively move on from that situation. What are you actually trying to do? And, and I think that's a really good question for all of us to ask before we kind of impulsively post to social media or to our blog yeah. or wherever it may be. Before we do that, to just ask ourselves that question is a really good rule of thumb. And, and speaking of kind of practical behavior, let's actually get into that. Jason, I know that you have a few principles that you want to share with our listeners about how they can have a more productive, more direct conversation with those involved in their lives and their business uh, to address problems. Yeah, this is a, um, if you look in the Crucial Conversations books, one of the biggest acronyms and one of the biggest principles I use is something called STATE. S-T-A-T-E. And state is, think of it as a framework to have a conversation. Now, the first part of it is S, which is state the facts. Now, I want to really, I I don't want to go too in deep, but I want to really emphasize what a fact is. I know a lot of people think that what you perceive is fact, but that's not always the case. I'll give you a good example. Say somebody in front of me is talking very loudly. Most of the time, people would say what? That they're yelling at me, right? Can Nathan, can you define what yelling is? <laughs> you know, it's funny you ask this because I'm a very literal communicator. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually beneficial to good conversation, but uh, the, everybody kind of applies their own meanings to words these days. And so right. I, I, when I think yelling, I literally think somebody raising their voice at me very, very loudly confronting me with something. But it's funny how I think that that perception can be different for different people. When they say yell, they may just be internally feeling like this person is confronting them in a violent manner because Correct. they've kind of imposed their feelings on the situation. Exactly. So that is, it's also, that's part of mindset, but the big thing is, and you answered it perfectly. You can't really define what yelling is. Could you say it's a certain decibel range above this much people? Another common one I hear is, well, they were angry at me. Huh? Define anger. <laughs> yeah. So stick to the facts. So if you see somebody, when I have to interject here too, because this is, I think, an important point. There's a tendency we have in our conversations, especially online these days, to use really, really big words. You know, <laughs> and there's, I'm sure, been plenty of jokes made about this. But even when we use the word "awesome," I mean, the, the, the word "awesome" is actually a really, really big word, but we use it all the time, and so it's watered the meaning down. So when you, okay. I'm glad that you're pointing this out. When when somebody says they yelled at me or they're angry with me or any other kind of descriptive word, make sure that, again, I think literal communication, I mean, when I say literal, I mean like literally open the dictionary and look up the word, see what it means and use it that way. I think that's so much more uh, productive when it comes to conversation. But I think the fact that, that we use such big words all the time, that meaning actually gets lost in that process. Yes, absolutely. But I didn't mean to interrupt your flow, Jason. Please, please continue. Oh, no, you're fine. So start with the facts. Describe the facts to the person as you see them. So let's refer to our online scenario. You know, um, basically, you wrote this post on this date that stated this. That's that's not anything derogatory. It's not anything that should cause anger or resentment. It's stating what happened. And by the way, we are talking, you were saying the, the online situation, but we are talking here about how to approach somebody individually in conversation? Yes, you can actually use this in both. Okay. You can use it for an online purpose or a, or and for this conversation, let's stick to the person. So if you see somebody in front of you and you want to discuss something that's very, very hard, the first thing, like I said, is state the facts as you know them. Facts are facts. They're not emotional. They're not confrontational. Now, some people may put an emotion to facts. There's nothing I can do about that, but facts are facts. Right. The next part of this acronym is T, which is called tell your story. Now, Nathan, you alluded to this earlier. This is your perception of what's going on. So if somebody is standing in front of me with their arms crossed, they're looking at the ground, I could maybe assume they're not interested in what I have to say. That's not a fact, though. It's a story. Hmm. So I would start the conversation with, well, your arms are crossed, you're looking slightly down, and you're shaking your head. By those body language signs, I can see that possibly you're not really interested in this conversation. Yeah, this is the part of the, the therapy session with your therapist where, where they, he or she asks you, how does that make you feel? And you actually just took the next part, ask questions. <laughs> yeah. So it, in this one, you want to make this kind of open-ended and ambiguous. You don't want to cause, you don't want to be direct with it. So in our example, you know, you have your arms crossed, you're looking at the ground, you're nodding, you're shaking your head. Am I correct in saying that you don't have any interest in this conversation? And then am I right about this? 
or can you give me more input? Something very ambiguous, something very open-ended that they feel safe to actually interact with you in this conversation. And then the most common question I get is, okay, so I do those three things and they're still mad at me. Then at that point, what you would do is go into your, you're going to look at the situation and actually not guess, but you're going to assume you're going to kind of impose what they are mad at. So you're, you would state those facts. They would get, go through that process. They would maybe get angry with you or something else and say, well, is what I said, did it hurt you in some way? And you really want to get to why they're getting hurt because what you're ultimately trying to do is not trying to calm, calm the conversation. That's a product of it. What you're trying to do is engage their brain. Because if you engage the brain, remember the lizard brain stops and then you can actually have dialogue with them. Now, just to play a little devil's advocate there, there are some situations where any kind of effort at logical interaction is inhibited by the fact that the other person is just absolutely amped absolutely. emotionally. How do you how do you address that or how do you deal with that, that situation at that point? So that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But um, the best I can tell you is first off, your safety is utmost importance. If you feel like you are going to be violently attacked or something else, then get, then step away from the conversation and diffuse it. The best way I found is that I could see this conversation basically is getting, is not doing us, at all any good or not engaging in dialogue. Can I re-engage this? Can I, can we talk about this say at a certain time today, or could we talk about this tomorrow over lunch? And, and that's that kind of idea of, of walking away and let, let the emotions die down, let the lizard brain disappear and be able to come back again a little bit more proactively and, and logically to the conversation. That's, that's good. This is a really loaded topic. And, and as many topics that we cover here on the podcast, um, we're not. We're certainly not uh, presuming to to cover every single nuance or detail around the topic. But this is really good starter conversation for well, and and not so ironically for the topic of having difficult conversations. Jason, you alluded to the book Crucial Conversations, uh, and you said books. So there are actually multiple books in the series. Well, the let me rephrase. The company has made other books: Crucial Accountability. The Influencer, there's a couple other books, but the particular ones, Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. Perfect. So what we'll do is make sure to link to that resource in the notes. And yeah. uh, man, I it's funny, we've been talking for close to an hour or so, and I feel like there's so much more we could get into. But uh, for the time being, we'll end here. What I would like to do is is make sure, in addition to linking to the, to the book that we just talked about, we'll of course also link to uh, Meredith's photography website, as well as the uh, Restart Specialist. This is her consultation business that we were talking about earlier. And Jason, are there any, should we also link to maybe to the Arbinger Institute as well in relation to this topic? Absolutely, please. Yeah, I think that those are both, both crucial conversations in the Arbinger really go hand in hand as a way to have these conversations and to kind of decide mindset wise what you should be posting on social media and uh, maybe what you should be having conversation offline. That's good. And I really can't thank you both enough for making time to share with us today. This has been good conversation for sure, productive conversation. And I hope the same for uh, that it was beneficial for our listeners. But thank you, Meredith and Jason, both for making time for the Boca podcast. Absolutely. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having us. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. We let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app. And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.